Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. I don't get to come here very often, but I love Fort Myers. I love seeing what God's doing here from far away. It's super motivating, super exciting for me just to be here and just to be around you guys. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited to be here. I'm probably more excited than you are to listen to this guy. Uh, even though, dude, you definitely hyped me up way more than <laughs> what you should expect. But um, stay on the keys re- real quick. Um, before I introduce myself, I, uh, I feel real strongly here that, uh, I mean, I was just sitting down and my, uh, my heart was just beating out of my chest. I felt like I was going to throw up here. Now, um, not sure if that's just because I might be nervous, but... I felt very strongly the presence of God, and um, I just felt the, the, the presence of God starting to speak, speak to me. And we have these questions. I had these questions earlier this year, and, and everywhere on Instagram and, and social media, people are like, this is what God is saying in 2020. This is what God is saying. This is what God is doing. And it's almost like God is schizophrenic because God is doing so many different things at the same time, even though God is God. So many people say that God says this, God says that. You hear uh, hundreds of thousands, hundreds and thousands of different preachers and pastors saying that God is saying something on a specific Sunday. And like, how does that work out? Like, why there's God is saying something in Margate, God is saying something here, God is saying something in Africa. But what, what is God actually saying And um, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says this. It says that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various different ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. And I know you guys just started a series in the spirit of Christ. And I love that because Jesus is the center of everything that we're doing. And this man, Jesus, I've been just reading about him lately even more, even though I should, obviously we're Christians, we should be reading about him all the time. But I've been just studying his life and who he was as a person. And it's just been mind boggling for me just reading about who he is. And it's just insane how this man, who once was a baby, grew up in such a way in 2,000 years ago and how it affects our lives today is insane. How this man Jesus literally split time in half so that way today, anything that happens on the face of this planet is categorized in two different things, before Christ, after Christ. Jesus is literally split time in half And he is the center of humanity. He's the center of our lives. Not just our lives, but mankind as a whole. Again, everything that has happened under the sun is either before Christ or after Christ because he is the center. And it says here right in Hebrews in the New Testament that God used to speak through the prophets. God used to speak through nature. God used to speak through the whirlwinds with Job. God used to speak through the rocks and the mountains and whatever. God used to speak through the high priests. But today, in 2020, God is speaking in one way, and that's through his son. 
God is speaking through Jesus Christ. In the book of Mark, or actually the Gospels as a whole, there's a section where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on this high mountain, and they were there alone. And it says that Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John, that his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And it says, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses. And Elijah and Moses were talking with Jesus. And it says that Peter stood, stepped in and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here up on this mountain. Let's stay here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He says he did not know what to say because they were so frightened. And then it says that a cloud appeared and it overshadowed Elijah and Moses. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. And I want you to listen to him. That's what God said. God stepped in while Peter wanted to hear more about what Elijah was saying. He wanted to hear the prophets. He wanted to hear Moses and he wanted to hear what the laws and the principles were all about. He was like, what are the regulations? What are the prophets saying? What are the rules? What are the traditions? And it says that God came in the form of a cloud and he overshadowed the traditions, the prophecies, the principles. And he said, I want you to listen to my son, Jesus. Forget about the past. Forget about the prophecies. Forget about the traditions. Forget about the teachings. And I want you to listen to my son. And why am I saying this? I'll introduce myself in just a second because it's so much more important for you to listen to Jesus than it is for you to hear whatever comes out of my mouth next. What is Jesus saying today? What is he saying? What does he think about you? What does he think about the way we're living? What, 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 what is Jesus in his grace up in the heavenly realms? What is he saying about today? What is he saying about you? What does he think about you? Because God is saying, I want you to listen to my son. And you know, God is not mute. God is not mute. God is speaking today. In 2020, on this Sunday morning, God is speaking. And it's not a matter of, is he going to speak to me or not? We're not coming together today to say, God, please speak to me. Please speak to me. Please speak to me. That's not what we're doing because God is speaking today and right now. But Jesus says what? He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so what, do we, what should we pray this morning? Lord, open my ears. Open my eyes. What, what was the ministry of Jesus? To heal blind eyes so that we would see and heal deaf ears that we would hear. Who is the Messiah? Who is Jesus? And he is still healing us today. He's opening blind eyes and he is healing deaf ears. And we pray that he would do this here this morning. So I want to encourage you, pray with me right now. Father, we just, we're here. We're here because you were here before any of us were even here. 
Lord, we're not inviting you to come, but we thank you because you've invited us to come. Every person sitting in this seat was tugged by the Holy Spirit to come to church this morning. And that's because God wanted you here this whole time. He wanted you to listen. He wants to speak. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would heal our deaf ears, that we would hear what you have to say, that you would heal our blind eyes, that we would see the glory of God this morning, and that it would transform us and that it would change us and that we would leave here completely renewed, encouraged, and inspired. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you want this for your life, just say amen. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you, Tulio, Pastor Rai from Brazil. Yeah, I just love Fort Myers. You guys are so privileged for just having awesome, awesome pastors. Daniel, Tulio, Raf from Brazil. I was just talking with Daniel in the, in the lobby on how Pastor Raf is just an awesome guy. Who here agrees? Pastor Raf is so awesome. Like, his life inspires me. I was telling Daniel, I look at Pastor Raf, and I'm like, I want to be like that guy. I want to have a beautiful family. He's so hardworking, so, so focused, so dedicated, so passionate, so godly, and funny, too. So I just love having him around. He stayed at my house when I was living in New York at a time. And it's just so good just to have him around. So kind of upset that he's not here. I should visit more often when he's here. Um, but... Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Jimmy Kalati. I'm a pastor of the same Vine Church family. I've been a Christian for only eight years, I believe. I, was not, I did not grow up in a Christian household. I grew up in kind of like a traditional Catholic household. We were just Catholic because, you know, we were Brazilians. And so I, I, I had like three different statues of Jesus in my room. Uh, I don't know if they were all Jesus because some of them kind of look like Mary too. <laughs> You're just like, I don't know which one. All right, we're just going to call it Jesus. but Because <laughs> it looks so feminine at the same time. And so, like, I, that was, that, to me, that was Jesus. I grew up with this mentality of that's what Jesus looked like. He's sitting down with his hands like this, something like that. He has long, beautiful hair. He's, like, really white. And that's Jesus. Really pink lips, too. And that was Jesus. That was God to me. Growing up, that's what I thought about God. And any time I would do something bad, we would drink or stuff in my family or, or in my room with my brothers and sisters, I would go to a little statue. i just turn it right around. I'd be like, all right, look at the wall. Don't look at what we're doing right now. And uh, again, that, that was my idea and mentality of Jesus. And maybe you're here and you have a different, you know, Jesus looks different to you, right? Maybe you went to Sunday school Maybe Jesus is a little darker for you than he was for me growing up. Jesus looks different. Maybe, maybe he's that, that, that guy holding the lamb with the picture, you know? Um, but Jesus essentially looks different to all of us because uh, maybe you saw a movie about him, you saw a picture about him, uh, whatever it might be, but he essentially looks all different to us. Um, but anyways, I'm from the east coast of Florida, the better side. Um, you guys have weird stuff going on here. Anything that's weird from Florida either happens in Miami or here. Um, but anyways, I have, a, I have a beautiful wife, taken, sorry. Uh, beautiful wife, her name's Isabella, and um, she's really good looking, really beautiful, really godly, and inspires me like crazy. And I also have a daughter named Zoe, she's really cute. 
Now, when I think about my life, I'm just so blessed. I love my life. I, I love, I just love what God's done in my life. And every now and then, I just like to stop and think of um, just my life. And every time I, I, I just think of Ephesians 3.20, where it says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And I just want to tell you that God can do the same for you too. God can do and will do immeasurably more than all that you can ask or imagine. Amen. And so today, um, I want to title this message, The Other Jesus. I'm going to share a message with you guys that's, um, that's really been in me, I guess. Uh, if you don't know already, every preacher, when he preaches, he first off preaches to himself because God speaks to him for him and then one day gives that availability to share it with others. And so I want to title this message, The Other Jesus, because unfortunately, I believe that there is another Jesus that we often pay attention to. Um, and you might be looking at me like, what are you talking about? But there's a psychologist, his name is Sigmund Freud. Um, he actually introduced this concept called projection. And maybe some of you guys study psychology, you might know a little bit more about it, but this concept of projection is this mental process by which people attribute to others what is in their own minds. Okay, so in other words, they displace their own feelings onto a different person. So for example, um, I don't know, an unfaithful spouse, right? So they project and they think that their spouse is cheating on them when in reality they're the ones cheating. Or maybe when you lie to someone else and the next thing you know you're like, did they just lie to me? But in reality you're projecting onto them what you yourself do, does that make sense? And so that's what this concept of projection actually is. You project onto others what you actually think, feel, or are. And I want to talk about this tendency that we have as humans of being self-centered, of, of, of being so introspective and caring so much about what we think, feel, need, and desire, and essentially so preoccupied with ourselves, again, our desires, our needs, our interests, opinions, and perspectives, that even in our pursuit of Jesus, we project ourselves onto him. So we end up looking at Jesus and just seeing parts of who we are. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, it says this, it says, you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce. People will be self-centered lovers of themselves. They may pretend to have a respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. They are always learning, but never discovering the revelation knowledge of truth. This is what the Bible says that as we get closer to the end times, this is what society is going to look like. And when I read that, I see today's society. Did you know that statistics say that we live in the most narcissistic society that has ever existed on planet Earth? 
We live in the most self-centered society than, that has ever existed to the point that people are going into depression because of so much self-centeredness. Because they determine their success and their value based off of uh, thumbs ups and hearts and likes on social media and, and, and shares and, and, and things on screens to validate themselves and who they are. And this is, this is what has happened to our society and our culture. We live in this self-centered and cancel culture society that people are literally lost within themselves. They are so in themselves that they're lost, if that, makes even, if that even makes any sense. But God has called us, his people, according to Philippians 3.14, he has called us heavenward. He's called us heavenward, and he's given us, his people, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation to know the truth. And so what do we do? We look forward and we think above, the Bible says. Not the past, not back, not within. We're, we're not called to be introspective people, but actually we're called to fix our gaze on Jesus, who is today seated in the heavenly places above all principalities and dominions. That is where we're supposed to fix our gaze and our eyes, not within. Amen. David says what? He says, I will look above because that is where my help comes from. That is where my help comes from. So what are we supposed to do as Christian believers? We fix our eyes above. We fix our eyes on Jesus. That is what's going to give you the stamina to continue on with life, to keep on moving forward, to keep on going. And so... Have you ever noticed that your version of Jesus, of who he is, how he acts, how he portrays himself, doesn't always look like your neighbors? Unless your neighbors look like you, then sure. But for the most part, your Jesus doesn't always look like the Jesus of your neighbor. And maybe your Jesus looks a little bit too much like you. Right, so he acts like you, talks like you, he thinks like you, he values what you value, he's registered under the same political party that you're registered for. And so this is the Jesus that you've painted in your mind. And let me just take a moment to talk about that. Did you know that Jesus is not American? I mean, we know that, right? We know Jesus is an American, but really, in your mind's eye, in the back of your head, in your subconscious, I think I need to remind you, Jesus is not an American. And let me take another step. Jesus is not Brazilian either. I know some of the Americans are like, oh crap, he's Brazilian, isn't he? No, he's not Brazilian either. Jesus was a sunburnt, first century Palestinian Jew with dusty sandals. That's Jesus. That's the one we sing to. He's a Palestinian dark guy from the Middle East. That's who we're singing about. That's who we worship. That's who we're looking to. That's who we fix our gaze on. It's this guy with dusty sandals. 
And putting his sovereignty aside, but Jesus as the man he is, Jesus doesn't know the first thing of what it means to live in the 21st century United States of America. What? Jesus has no clue of how to work an iPhone. No clue. Jesus has no clue of what a MacBook Air is. Has no idea, not, not the slightest bit. Not, not even a bit. And let me take it another step. Did you know that Jesus isn't even a Christian? What? Did you know that? Jesus is not a Christian. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even know how to put this Sunday production together. If Jesus came here today and said, Jesus, you're going to go up on the stage after this and this, and you're going to look at the PCO, you're going to look at the time, he's going to get lost. He's going to be like, what's going on? I don't know any of this. I don't know how to do any. What's an usher? Buckets? What is this for? Bathroom? Why are you passing around the bathroom? And so Jesus has no clue. Again, taking his sovereignty aside, he doesn't know what, what the heck is going on here. Because he's not a 21st century Christian American. Jesus, he doesn't know how to put this Sunday, Sunday service together. He probably wouldn't have points in his sermon either. You know what Jesus did? He was a handyman. He built furniture. So if you're here and you work in construction, God bless you. You're closer to the image of Christ than any other pastor. Literally. So you are a handyman. You work in construction. You build decks for a living and put up additions. You are closer to Jesus's career than a pastor or priest. And so you're blessed. Keep on doing what you're doing. Jesus was a handyman. He was a Middle Eastern sunburnt handyman with dusty sandals. He grew up as a little Jewish boy. That's Jesus. He's not a cool millennial pastor with a nice haircut with faded on the side down to the skin and with off-whites. That's not Jesus. Are you with me? Am I scaring some of you? I hope not, because this is the Jesus that we serve, worship, look up to, and live according to. This is the one we claim to follow. This is our Jesus. And I think sometimes we forget, I want to remind you guys of this, because sometimes we forget that Jesus was the Word made flesh. He was made flesh. He, he, Jesus was a real person. And I know you're looking at me like, are you serious? You're going to talk about this today? I already know that, but this is a refresher because a lot of people forget that, including myself. Jesus was, in fact, a real human being for li that lived up to the age of 33 and a half, more or less. He was a real human being with a father, with a mother, with brothers and sisters, with siblings and cousins. He had a family. And I know it sounds weird, but Jesus was a person. He had a body. He was physical. I'm not going to press it, but he had a personality too. He had a way of living that no other human being on planet Earth was ever like him. To the point where literally humanity 
took Jesus and said, you know what, he's, he's too crazy to live on planet Earth, let's crucify him. He, he's too much to handle. And so we think of Jesus, we think of like this cool, calm, collected kind of guy, but he was so insane in a nice way that people decided to crucify him for the sake of peace and quiet. He was so enthusiastic, probably one of the most, most emotional people you would ever meet. And people just determined it'd be so much easier to just crucify him, let him die. We were doing so well without him. Please, for the love of God, let's crucify his son and just get back, get, let's get things back to normal, please. And I wanna just touch on this for a second, the fact that Jesus was a real person because one of the heresies found in the early church was that Jesus never had a real or natural body. They say that he was more of a phantom, like a ghost. And John says in the book of John chapter one, John, one of his disciples, he says, no, 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 no. We, we saw Jesus with our own eyes. That's what John says. He says, we saw him with our own eyes we heard him speak with our own ears. Our hands, it physically touched Jesus. He was the word of life that appeared to us, and today we testify it. We testify about it. That's what John says. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. We talked to him. We had a relationship with him. He was my brother. We were close. We were together. We walked together. We saw each other every day. Imagine. Somebody, uh, imagine Tulio passes away for some reason, and then next year somebody comes around like, nah, he, was, he didn't exist. He was a ghost. You're going to be like, what? What, what? what are you talking I saw him. He came to church. We ate dinner together. We went to Chipotle or that, that other ale house that you guys so love here in Fort Myers. Uh, yeah, that ale house, like you don't have good food here or something. Yeah, we went to ale house together. I know I ate some fries off of his dish. He ate some of mine. He never paid me back that one day. You're gonna be like, what are you talking about? I know Tulio. I know he was a human being, he was real. That's what John and these disciples are talking about. They're like, what are you talking about Jesus wasn't real? Are you kidding me? We walked together for three years every day. We did the same thing, we followed him, we held hands with him, we, we went, we, we, we heard him, we touched him, we ate food together. What are you talking about he wasn't real? No, we testify to it, he was. And so we can't, I wanna say this because we can't afford to sit here and pretend that we're, we're talking about a different Jesus that fits our needs. We actually need to come to church and we just submit ourselves to who he really is, for who Jesus was and is today, not form and construct a whole nother picture and image of Jesus that fits my needs for 2020. Does that make sense? For example, going back to the projection here, husbands, for those who are married, is it just me, but every now and then when you're just like sitting with each other, does your wife just like look at you and try to read your mind? Because mine does that. <laughs> like we'll just be, sitting together after we put my daughter to sleep or to nap for lunch. We're just eating lunch together at the same table. It's just quiet. We're not talking about much. 
And then I, I look up, and she's just like staring at me like, and I look at her, and she's like, what are you thinking about? I was like, nothing? And she's like, no, I know what you're thinking about. I know, I know what you know right now. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? There's nothing in my head. Like, I just want to eat my food, please. And she's like, why are you thinking about that? It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and surprisingly enough, sometimes she gets it right. I'm just like, all right, whatever, because wives are like that. But most of the time, she's just getting it wrong. There's absolutely nothing going on in my head. But I wonder, is that what we do with Jesus sometimes? Like, do we take what's going on in our heads, in our lives, in our culture, in our society? Like, do we ever take our feelings, our frustrations, our ambitions for life and project it onto Jesus and say, no, that's what God's thinking that's what God thinks and feels. That's what God is saying to me today. Like, you really want that promotion. You really want that specific thing for your life. And so you're like automatically, no, God wants that for me too. But is that so? Is that so? Or are you just project or are you just projecting what you want, feel, and need onto God and saying, that's what God actually thinks and feels? He's probably looking back at you like, talking about? What are you saying? Are you kidding me? Like, I'm not thinking about anything right now. But God is probably looking at you just like I look at my wife sometimes like, what? No, you're way out of it. I think something else. Something else is on my mind. Feeling something else about this. But we don't always want to hear what God is saying. We just project ourselves onto God and say, no, that's what God thinks. That's what God feels. And so the goal of my message here this morning is that we would stop projecting ourselves on Christ and just see him for who he is. See him for who he is. He is his own person. I know that's crazy to think about sometimes, but he is his own person. He has his own thoughts. He has his own desires. He has his own interests own plans for you, for, for the church, for eternity, for life. And as Christ followers, we need to be devoted and committed to his ways rather than our ways. You see, the uh, uh, American Christianity have, have, has come to this place where we've constructed a God and a Jesus that will serve us to fulfill the American dream. Literally. That's, that's the God that we've constructed. That's this Jesus Christ that we built that died on a cross for you to reach the American dream. But that's not the Jesus we serve and worship. The Jesus that we serve, worship, and sing to here on Sunday has a plan far greater for you and your family than an American dream. Far better, far greater, and he wants to tell that to you, and he wants to lead you and usher you into the promises of God that doesn't, that doesn't end when you die, because that's the American dream. It's going to end when you die, but it's a plan and a purpose. It's a dream. It's an eternal dream for you. It's a dream that continues and lasts after you pass away, where you will inherit things and riches and treasures, not just on earth, but in eternity. Like, imagine if we thought about our retirement for eternity rather than retiring at 50. 
I think some of us need to think like that sometimes. Because your, reti- your real retirement is going to be on that day when you pass away and every tear is shed away and there's only joy and happiness in heaven, whatever. It's when the new earth and the new heavens come. It's when Jesus Christ establishes his kingdom. That's your real retirement. That's where I'm resting for all of eternity, whatever that might look like. But your retirement, our retirement cannot be 50, 55 years old. We can't think like that because what's going to happen after? So we have to be thinking heavenward. Amen. And so as I, our goal is that as we behold Jesus, as we sing to Jesus, as we close our eyes and imagine and picture the glory of God as we sing, that that would transform us into his image. Not his, not, not us transform his image to ours. Amen. You know, he, he already did that. Jesus was literally God stepping down from heaven to become like you. God already made himself less, becoming in the form of man to become like us, sinful people, so that he would take us from the pit and bring us up to where he is. So today, we're not trying to make an image of God to look like us because that's what Jesus is. But rather, he takes us in our lowest form and he lifts us up in the most glorified form. Amen. And so God stepped down. He made himself like us people so that we would be redeemed into his image. And so my prayer always, whenever I'm I'm, I'm singing or whatever, my prayer is always to be like him and not for him to be like me. And so when I say the other Jesus, again, that's the title of my message. When I say the other Jesus, the other Jesus is the one that fits your mold and your expectations of who God is and needs to be. The other Jesus is the one that can fit into the box that you told God to stay in. The other Jesus is the God that that you can control and does everything that you want him to do. The other Jesus is the one that helps you achieve your ambitions. The other Jesus looks and acts and talks and thinks just like you. Are you with me? And so I want to read... What time do we usually finish here? 12. So in 10 minutes. Cool. So Mark 15, chapter 1 through 15. Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. We're going to read the story of Barabbas here. It says, Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You've said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, are you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. 
knowing it was out of envy or self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. They shouted what? Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. We want you to crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. I'm sure many of you here know the story. Usually preachers use the story of Barabbas and Jesus to speak about the, the penal substitution that happened on the cross. So in other words, Jesus, this innocent man that took Barabbas's place, also took your place. Right? Jesus was punished for our sins. God freed, not, freed us from the penalty of our sins, just like Barabbas was freed from the penalty of his. And while this is all so great, I could sit here and just talk about that. Very true, very powerful stuff. I think we could actually learn some more about this passage. For example, who is Barabbas? Who is Barabbas? Why was he in prison? What did he do? And what was he to these Jews? Like, were these Jews just ridiculously bad and malicious people where they just crucified an innocent man and, and said, no, give us the murderer, give us the killer. Like we want, were they just horrible people possessed by demons wanting the murderer and killing the innocent? No. So for us to answer that, who is Barabbas? Bible scholars actually say that Barabbas's full name uh, was Yeshua bar Abba, Yeshua bar Abba, say it in English, gringo way. Literally translated, Barabbas's full legal name was Jesus, son of the father. Or in other words, Jesus, son of the teacher. Because Yeshua is Jesus, bar means son of, Abba means father, or it could also be translated as teacher. So in other words, Jesus's name in our way, let me just break it down for you, was Jesus Barabbas. So on the stand, the writers just took out Jesus Barabbas so people wouldn't be confused. We have Jesus the Christ and Jesus Barabbas. And so Yeshua, aka Jesus, if you didn't know, was actually a very common name back then. Very common. Um, in the first century for Jews, it's kind of like for us, the name Joshua, Josh. So our, technically speaking, Jesus translated in English or Yeshua in English is Joshua. So we should be sitting here talking about Josh, Josh, not Jesus, because that's our, that's our Messiah's name in English is Joshua, Joshua Christ. Anyways, we know, what we know about Barabbas in verse eight, it says, I'm sorry, verse 9 says, Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. If you don't know what an insurrectionist is, it's, it, it, they are a group of rebellious. Uh, they're, they're a group of rebellions. And so Barabbas was actually in prison for leading an armed rebellion against the Roman government at the time. And if you don't know anything about the Jews, the Jews were actually expecting a Messiah that would come and overturn the Roman government. They were actually expecting a Messiah that would do what Barabbas is in prison for. 
And so Barabbas was kind of like this folk hero to the Jews, kind of like Batman, right? So Batman comes to, to overturn the government and, and how they're so bad. Literally, that's Barabbas. Barabbas, for the Jews, they were a sense of hope, and they, he was the figure of what the Messiah should look like. And so Barabbas was everything that the Jews expected and wanted their Messiah to be. For generations, the Jews were anticipating the arrival of a dominant political force, and Barabbas was their Jesus. Barabbas was their Jesus. He was their Yeshua. He was their rescuer. He was their de deliverer. And Barabbas had fit their model and their expectation of a Messiah. And that's why when Pilate said, who do you want to release? They said, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Not because he's a killer, but because he's our Messiah. He's our Jesus. He's our hope. He's going to overturn the Roman government and rule. He's our Messiah. He's our Savior. And they did away with the Son of God who actually came for them to deliver them and to save them. So Barabbas met their expectations. They thought he was the Messiah. While Jesus the Christ did not meet up to their expectations. Jesus the Christ did not fulfill their first century Palestinian dream. Jesus the Christ did not meet their current and political needs. Jesus was quiet. They did away with the Son of God. And you know, what's sad is that their expectation of the Messiah came from years and years and years of tradition, of prophecy, of teachings passed down with from them, from, from the highest and smartest, you could say, biblical scholars at the time, Barabbas was the Jesus that the Jews thought they needed. He was the right one. He was, he was the one sent by God. He was the deliverer. He was the Messiah. And so they believed that he and his rebellion against Rome was the answer to their decades and decades of prayer. And what am I saying with all this? I'm saying that the Jews asked for the wrong Jesus. The Son of God, their Yeshua, was the other Jesus that was quiet. The one that was silent, the one that didn't say a word against the accusations being made about him. He was their Christ. He came for the Jews, and the Jews rejected him because they thought the Messiah would be better. And so what I'm saying is, what if we come to church and we expect God to be something that he's not? Is he far better? Absolutely. Is he far greater? Absolutely. But not necessarily in the way you and I think as Americans in the 21st century. Does that make sense? And I don't believe that the same thing can't happen today where we call on a God that we project ourselves onto because that's what the Jews did. They projected themselves onto Barabbas. He thinks like us. He prays like us. He acts like us. He's just radical in his beliefs. And so they projected themselves onto Barabbas and said, 
He is our Messiah. And what, what if we do the same thing? We project ourselves on a God, one that looks way too much like us, and we do away with the Son of God. We crucify the Son of God. And so I have a poem I want to share with you from William Blake. It says here, The vision of Christ that you see is my vision's greatest enemy. Yours has a great hook nose like yours. Mine has a stub nose like mine. Now we both read the Bible day and night, but you read black where I read white. So what is this poet essentially saying is that sometimes those of us who look for Jesus can't seem to look past their own nose. So for example, there's this Native American tribe called the Lakota tribe. They refer to Jesus as the buffalo calf of God. I've never used that term before, but that's what they like, the buffalo calf of God. Now I'm not going to go in there and tell them to change that. You can do that. It'd be a missionary. And, and I pulled up this picture of Jesus that the Cuban government distributes. It's this painting of Jesus with a rifle slung over his shoulders. While we as Americans, we have a, a white, long-haired Jesus holding a lamb, the Cubans, they're, they're, they're distributing this picture of Jesus with a beret and a rifle. That's the Jesus that they're looking to. That's the Jesus that they're looking to. And, and so as humans, we have this tendency to pick and choose what you want to stand and believe for. And so we take exaggerated approaches on one specific principle and one specific topic, and we neglect the rest of who Jesus is. And so by doing so, we actually create this false image of who Jesus is according to Whatever, it could be our political party, our culture's way of thinking. And essentially, as we read the Bible, we pick up the things we like about Jesus and we add it to him. And the things we don't really like or make us feel uncomfortable, we take it out of him and pretend it's not part of who he is. Are you with me? And so, man, the, the, the person of Jesus has made such a profound impact in our lives, even 2,000 years later today, and, and that, that, that we need to uphold who he really is. Because if we strip him down of who he is, we actually lose out on the power of God for this church. We lose out on the power of God of what he wants to do here in Fort Myers. Because now we've taken another Jesus to fit our needs for evangelism or for whatever it might be. But what if we just preach the message of the first century Palestinian Jew who was sent by God, who was God incarnated and was crucified for humanity? What if that was the Jesus we preached about? What if that was the Jesus that we talked about? In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, if Christ is not alive, y'all are still lost in your sins and your faith is a fantasy. So what we're doing here, we're playing church just like a kid would play house. If Christ is not who he says he is, if Christ did not raise from the grave, we're playing church here. But it says in verse 20, Christ, but the truth is that in fact Christ is risen from the dead. So what we're doing here is real. So what God is doing among us is real. 
In Mark 7, verse 13, Jesus turns to the, the religious scholars and he says, you, you yourselves, you nullify the word of God by your traditions, your principles, your teachings, your practices that you've handed down, and you do so many other things just like that, and you're stripping the power of the gospel by turning the story of Jesus into points, into little principles, into one, two, three steps, into three takeaways, and the three steps for fulfilling your dream. And so you take the story of God and you turn it into three takeaways on how to better your life you're stripping the power of the gospel by doing so. That's what Jesus says. Go ahead. Yeah, I know you guys have been waiting. Romans 1.16, Paul says it best. I'm here, I'm running through this thing because I, yeah. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the extraordinary and wonderful story of Jesus because... It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So what is Paul essentially saying? He's saying that the power of God that will bring salvation to Fort Myers, the power of God that will bring salvation to your family and your schools, it's not in the principles. It's not in the points or the bulletin points of the sermon, but it's actually in the full story of Jesus. It's in the good news story of Jesus Christ. And so... I think we should talk about the story more than just points. Don't you think? Man, whenever you feel discouraged, whenever you feel let down, whenever you feel confused or, or, or things are distorted, Hebrews actually tells us to go over the story of Jesus again and again and again and again. The message version says that when we go over the story of Jesus, it shoots an adrenaline into our souls. It doesn't say if you go over the principles he lived by, look at the way he honored others, look at the way he loved others, look at the way he was so humble, and that's gonna encourage you. No, 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 no. Look at his story. Look at who he was. You know, Jesus is almost as if, it, it, G, the person of Jesus is as if God stepped down from heaven, stripped himself of his robe and his crown, laid down on a table to be dissected by humanity. He says, just look at me. Look at me. Look at who I am. Look at what I'm about. Look at what I think. You want to know who God is? You want to know what God is saying? Look at Jesus. Dissect him. Look at his story. Look at what he says. Let it inspire you. Let it change your life. Nobody in the scriptures, nobody who has ever come across Jesus ever stayed the same. Nobody. Now, I've never seen Jesus in flesh. Sometimes I pray for his spirit, but then I, I get scared that I think a ghost is going to show up in my room. But I stopped praying for that. I've never seen Jesus with my eyes, but I've seen what he's done in people. And he did the same thing in my life. Let me just say, if you're here and you never encountered Jesus, read his story. Keep on coming back to church. See what other people are saying about him. Hear the story of Jesus and what he's doing in people's lives. It's going to change your life. 
It's going to change your life. And you know, I've come to the conclusion with Christianity because I've been here for about eight years. I've heard it all, I think. But I've come to the conclusion that what we're doing here is about a person. The person, not, not his principles. It's a person, and it's not practical. It's not pragmatic. There's no three takeaways to life. There's no, there's no point system on, on how to come into the presence of God. There's no, it's a mystery. It's in fact a mystery. There, it's okay to have questions and I think those questions actually lead us closer to God. The doubts, the questions, the concerns, I, it didn't scare God away. Thomas was full of doubts. And what did Jesus do? The first person Jesus came to after his resurrection was like, where's Thomas? Where's Thomas? I want to show him my hand. I want to meet him in his questions. I want to meet him in his doubts. I'm going to encounter Thomas right where he's at. And so sometimes you get a nudge out of you. You get a nudge that only God can nudge you. You know what I'm talking about? Like that thing, you're like, what is this? You don't even know how to, you can't put your finger on it. You just, I think God's doing or saying something in me. And you don't know why. It might not be practical. You can't collect your thoughts and put it on a piece of paper because God's way of speaking to us is in a way where it's not in English. Nudges, impressions. It's, revel it's, it's, it's revelation knowledge that cannot fit into paragraph of English. And so these nudges that come within, it's, you gotta realize that it's a person that's nudging you inside. And he's alive, and he has his thoughts, he has his ambitions, he's passionate about you, he's in love with you, he knows what's best for you, and he's gonna nudge you in a way where you're gonna question it, but he's gonna say, no, 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 just trust me, follow me. And this person that's inside of you, he's guiding you, and he's leading you through life. He's leading you through life. And as Christians, we must be committed to following the person of Jesus. Not study his principles, but the person of Jesus. The worship team can come up. But I have another poem I want to put up on the screen. Edward says, the other gods were strong. So in other words, the God that you painted in your picture, the Jesus that you want, to exist that fulfills your needs. The other Jesus that fits your retirement plan, he might be stronger than the real Jesus. The other gods, they were strong, but you, you were weak. They rode, they rode on horses, but you did stumble to a throne. To our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. Oh, but not a God has wounds but you alone. Now, I want to end by saying you will absolutely 100% not succeed in trying to tame God. You will not. You will not. You cannot categorize Jesus. You can't even have him. You can't even get back a good personality test from the guy. You, you can't box him in. Jesus is radically unlike anyone else who has ever lived on planet
check. And the difference between a, a good man and who Jesus was is the difference between one who is an example of living and one who is life itself. You can't categorize life. It takes on different forms and shapes. He's emotional, he's extravagant, he's wild, but he's in you. It's the definition of eternal life itself is a person and he's inside you. He's inside you and he's nudging you and he leads you and he guides you. And you're just like, now, how do we even close this thing? You know, something that Paul is constantly praying for in Ephesians 1.17, he says, now I keep on asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And he says, I keep on asking, I keep on asking, I keep on interceding, that's what I'm praying for day in, day out. I keep on asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you could perform in your Christianity better. No. So that you could influence or dominate Fort Myers or the world or gain anything in life. No, no, no. I want us to pray. Keep on asking. God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge so that one simple core focus, you may know him better. You may know him better. That we may have revelation to really know Jesus. What if we came together and the Jesus you looked to was the same Jesus he looked to? What if the Jesus we served and sang to was the same one we're singing to? What if he didn't look different? What if he was the same one? Imagine how united a church would be. Imagine how much love would be in the air, how much unity, compassion for each other we would carry. The Bible says that when we come together, we love each other in this way, that the world would see our love for one another and they would come to know that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Yeshua. He's the deliverer. He's our savior. So I want to encourage you to stand up where you are. This is not practical. It's not supposed to be practical. You're not leaving here on a Sunday morning. If you took notes, I don't know how. You can't note it. You can't note, you can't put notes on this stuff. I could bear that. It took me forever to write this. You can't. There's no notes here. You're not leaving here this morning with practical steps on this thing, but I want you to leave here knowing that you have a person inside of you and he loves you. He's crazy and wild about you. Look, and there's nothing else worth living for than following that.